For 100 years, the Green Bay Packers have been a benchmark for football excellence. Thousands of players have helped pave the way, and we're here to tell their stories. I'm Wayne Larrabee. This is the Packers Alumni Spotlight. In the middle of the 1960s, Vince Lombardi knew his Hall of Fame backfield of Paul Harding and Jim Taylor was getting a little long in the tooth. With an eye toward the future, and in the middle of the NFL-AFL talent war, Lombardi made an expensive investment in the future. In 1965, he drafted halfback Donnie Anderson to the first round out of Texas Tech. And he took fullback Jim Grabowski from Illinois the following year. The collective salaries of the two prospects totaled $1 million. Back in those days, that was a lot of cash. So Anderson and Grabowski became the Goldust Twins. I sat down with Donnie recently to discuss. How was your reception on this team that had won, I believe by the time you got here, maybe three or four super three. championships and and all of a sudden you guys come into what is a you know a better and laden team how was the acceptance was there a problem with anything like that well Horning was very good to me uh, he he was hurt he had a neck injury and didn't play that year but he was on the team the first Super Bowl team and so at practice he would help me run patterns learn how to do certain things and run the mighty Lombardi sweep, that type of thing. So I didn't have a lot of problems. Nischke was, unfortunately, Ray was that way all the time. He played full speed all the time in practice and the game, and that was just his personality. Was difficult for Jimmy and I because he had to prove that we had to prove that we were part of the Green Bay Packers and that we're worthy of, at that time, when it, the money was just you know, like funny money for that time, not like today. But uh, so Ray was pretty hard on us. Uh, he'd hit us in practice, and you know, we'd, I called him a crazy man one time because he <laughs> hit me in the head, and he, he didn't have to. It's just so I adjusted. Most of the players were very receptive because most of the time, I would think, being a, being a number one draft choice, you you're going to play. You're going to get a chance to play, and they knew that we we could probably help the team to win another championship. What was Vince Lombardi like uh, week to week as, as the coach? The drive we hear about all this driving stuff and everything else like that. And what was it like uh, under that uh, that kind of leadership? Everybody has different personalities on the team, including the coaches. And Vince had the strongest personality of any of us. And he was, I don't know how he would get himself in a position to win, and that was the only thing. And I've said for many years, when people ask, even I live in Dallas, they ask about Vince Lombardi. That's the first question. His mental preparation to the game, for him personally, was to make sure that we made no mistakes. And that's what he was about more than anything else. Mental mistakes were so important, and they are. I mean, today they make a lot of mistakes, and we just didn't make very many mistakes. We had a five-yard penalty in the first Super Bowl. 
That was it. Wow. So I think that summed him up better. He puts you a little bit in, I was a little bit uh, early, uh, uncomfortable with him constantly having the eye, the big, we call it the big eye, the camera. Uh, he was always on me to make me better. And he, he did. He actually, in there, I was a better player, much better, much stronger. Give us the basics of the old Lombardi Packers power sweep from your vantage point as the running back. When I came to Green Bay, I was like a 9-600 guy. And so the short story, which will, will be a good story, I got to play. I was so excited. We were playing the Bears in preseason, and Lombardi put Grabo and I in. And he didn't particularly like rookies because they make too many mistakes. So we turned up on 48, red right 48, and I passed Fuzzy. So I got hit pretty hard. Fuzzy came over, and he picked me up, and he said, Now, rookie, he said, This is our major play here. This is our power play. And he said, if you don't learn to run behind Jerry and I, you won't be here very long. And so the story, I throttled down my speed, get behind them, and you learn how to run it. I mean, you got one guard turning up fast and one on the outside. Your fullback's got a big job because he's got to block the Sam linebacker, the strong side linebacker. So it, it, it takes time to learn how to play it. The Packers won the first two Super Bowls in Anderson's first two years in the league. But by 1968, Lombardi had retired as head coach, and the dynasty began to totter. We were so accustomed of Lombardi motivating us, giving us a game speech on Thursday and, and Saturday, and not talking to us on Sunday. Just that pattern was gone. And Phil Bankston uh, was not a personality person. He was not a motivator, per se. Uh, he was a great defensive coach. But we missed that, and I think it hurt us in the long run. Uh, I can't remember all the injuries we had, but you're, you're going to have injuries. Mm -hmm. But I, I just recall that it wasn't a game speech or wasn't a motivation of fear to go out there and play the best you could play. Donnie, uh the difference between winning and losing, how fine a line is it in the National Football League then and now? You can't lose a game by one play. There's no way you're going to do that. And you don't think that way. You think in terms of second quarter, you, you execute the play, and you work your way through to the fourth quarter. I personally never thought about uh, the difference between the first quarter and the fourth quarter for me. It was all about call a play, that was the game plan, execute your plan the best you could. I, the winning and losing has a lot to do with injuries, and I would call today especially, because Boyd Dowler told, shared this story with me. He said, I'll bet you Vince Lombardi in the years that he played for Vince, all nine years, he said, I don't know if Vince ever called more than five plays. So he would work with Bart and, and Zeke and the quarterbacks, and give you game situations before computers, situations on first, second, third down. And that's what Bart and those guys would call. Mm -hmm. uh, unless Zeke was in there and then Max wanted him 
throw the ball to him all the time. <laughs> yeah. Paul Horning was one of the most versatile players in NFL history. In 1960, he set the league scoring record with 176 points. He not only caught passes for touchdowns and ran for touchdowns, he was also the place kicker. Well, like the Golden Boy, Donnie was also a runner and receiver, and he did some kicking. He served as the team's punter as well. I can't think of another running back who was actually the punter for his team. Uh, but you were. Tell us about that and how that came to be, that you were not only a running back that was selected in the first round of the draft, and probably the guy was going to replace Paul Horning, but you also became the team's punter. How did that come about? Well, when I was in college, uh, they changed the rule where you could only substitute two players on fourth down. That was my junior year in 64. And our coach, J.T. King, asked if I could stay in the summer and get a job in Lubbock. They'd get me a job and work on getting another second off of hang time. So I stayed there all summer working on, instead of being at 4-8, uh, which is what most people did, had a lower projectory to the ball, uh, to the re receiver or punt returner. So I got it up at 5-2, 5-3, somewhere in there. And uh, when I came here, Don Chandler was the punter, and he averaged about 42, but I kicked the ball much higher than he did. Well, Lombardi loved that, and I'll tell the story real quick. We were playing in Chicago, and Gail Sayers was multi-triple talented, right? So Vince said, let Donnie punt. So I went in, and Gail fumbled, and we scored a touchdown. The next time I punted, Gail fumbled again, we scored three points. And the next time, he fair caught the punt. So we won the game by those 10 points, like 13 to 10 or something like that. So this writer asked Vince if I was going to punt the next week. He said, you know, he only averaged 37 yards. And Vince loved the press so much that he said, well, let me see. Did Sarah's fumble and we score seven points? Did he fumble again and we score three points? Did we win the game? He said, yeah, I'm going to let him punt next week. So that kind of started my career in Green Bay putting. And then we had a linebacker named Freddie Carr that nobody could block on the punt team. And that, whatever those stats are, they're somewhere in that two-yard return average on 60-something punts. So it, it actually preset some changing of rules because it couldn't get – there's nobody could get – a a chance to return the punt. And that's supposed to be an exciting part of football, which it is. And so Freddie was always in their face. And they were so everybody just started fair catching. And then Google, a few number of years ago, uh, tabbed me as the hang, hang time king. Wow. So it kind of works out that way. I'm not embarrassed about saying that. but. Because that's what it was. I mean, there was no returns. I don't know what my career ended up, but it was. I know against the, the, the longest run that year was 10 yards return. The longest run. So just kick it high, and they didn't have a chance. Lombardi loved that. Thanks to the king of hang time, the Packers held their opponents to a minuscule 1.7 yards per punt return, forcing 27 fair catches in 1967. 
Anderson played six years for the Packers before he was traded to the Cardinals in 1972. Donnie spent three years in St. Louis before retiring in 1975. Today, he keeps busy in Dallas with 10 grandchildren and his Dallas-based foundation, Winners for Life, which helps send at-risk kids to college.